Welcome to the TTPOA podcast, a podcast for SWAT officers, military, and all first responders. We'll be talking training, tactics, and leadership with the best subject matter experts around. Here are your hosts, Derek and Brandon. Well, welcome back to another edition of uh, the podcast that, I don't know, do we have an official name? Yeah, or? the TTPOA podcast. That's the, okay, that's, that's it. That's the official name. The, the official name. All right. Well, good. Well, uh, at this point, I don't even know what episode we're on because uh, we've just been going and going and going. Yeah. Uh, so right now we're up to nine. All right. You're episode number nine. nine. Okay. So episode nine, we uh, have the great honor of of having in our uh, studio here, we're going to call it a studio, uh, Chuck, <laughs> Chuck Pressburg. How you doing, Chuck? Doing well, man. Good, man. Well, uh, it's good to have you. Uh, so, man, Chuck's one of those dudes in the industry that, man, everybody knows and everybody wants to have him come out and train. And when we were lucky to have him at TTPOA, uh, you did your first class with TTPOA right this year in, in course Region 7. Yeah. So this is your first conference? It, it is. What yeah. do you think? What do you think so far? I, I really like it. I've been uh, supporting OTOA for a couple years, and I knew that that Ohio and Texas were were kind of the big ones. Uh, I was just trying to get networked and find out who to talk to to kind of come and contribute in this. And then Corona threw it all for a, a loop. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, better better late than never. I'm I'm looking forward to to getting back out in this area. I've hit a couple of agencies individually, yeah, but I haven't had the opportunity to to really get out and help out officers kind of from across the spectrum. Good, so. good man. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, real quick, and then we'll kind of go from there and just see where this conversation goes. Uh, yeah. So I joined the army back in '90. Uh, I was gonna. Um, check the block and I wanted to go be an airborne ranger for uh, a four year stint. And um, then I wanted to uh, join state police like my dad okay. in Louisiana and they had either a military or LE requirement. And so I was going to, was going to go do, do some cool guy stuff and then come back and be a cop like the old man. Oh. And uh, I just kind of took to ranger and like a fish to water. And when it was time to kind of like move and get out of the army, I got in that comfort zone thing and I, I reenlisted. And yeah. so I'm just ended up staying in for the hall. Uh, had about a decade in the 75th Ranger Regiment. Uh, started doing a lot of science and technology R&D stuff. After that, I was kind of a, a, a gear nerd. And so I was the yeah. R&D guy for 1st Ranger Battalion. That's kind of how I got networked in with the industry and with mm -hmm. people in the industry and there's guys that are still working uh you know vendors that i met 20 years ago before 9-11 oh wow and, that's gotta uh, be pretty pretty damn interesting to do the r&d stuff right yeah it, it was uh it was pretty cool to see kind of how a bill becomes a law if you will when it you know, talking about the acquisition community or whatever I, i'm one of the few operational guys that is also a school trained defense acquisition university combat developer oh, wow. so uh so i was you know formally trained in the acquisition process and and how uh how the the palm cycle and and money and is spent mm. and so all, would, all of that stuff would those guys come to you for ideas or were you would you tweak a product that they already had or, or would you guys just test the shit out of it or what? It, it all depends uh, on the science and technology side you, there. Uh, you're trying to get into a laboratory or an or sit down with an engineer before they go too far down a rabbit hole. Uh, an example of that would have mm -hmm. been um, land warrior. The first attempt to integrate whatever, uh, 
we put on this ensemble and it didn't even work yet. All the cables and the boxes were all like 3D printed before 3D printing was cool. And they're like, okay, eventually this is going to be all electronic and networked and whatever. And when we put it on, the first thing we saw was that the mouse, it had like a thumb wheel with clicky buttons on it and it was right in the firing pocket on the right shoulder. (laughs) And we asked them, why why is this up here? And they totally nerded out on us with some human factors in engineering and they're like well 84.2 percent of the population of whatever are right-handed so this needs to be intuitive so that they can manipulate the mouse with their right hand and i'm like and 100 percent of the ground combat people do not take their firing hand off their weapon and that's also black on my stock weld so you're going to go ahead and need to move that and they literally took this body armor with the wires sewn into it and they took a seam ripper and they had a trailer out there with a seamstress in Damn. it and they ran into the trailer gutted the wiring and rerouted the mouse I can just to see the left you, shoulder i can see you stand over some dude yeah. right like with a pocket protector and his little glasses on and you say it just like that and him yeah. going eh, and like pushing his glasses up on his nose and like storming off like in a little pissy well after they made us like use all their nerd equipment or whatever we took them out to a drop zone and we had an entire sfa team that did a full mission loadout of their rucksack. Uh, it was load-bearing vests back then and all that stuff. And we put all this kit on the nerds and then like lowered <laughs> nods and said, I want <laughs> you to nerd. walk across <laughs> this the field nerds. 100 meters that way. And we just watched these poindexters like <laughs> ah, falling in the ditch or whatever so that they could get, so they could understand. Yeah. Like it blew their minds yeah. when one of the SF yeah. guys said that he cut his toothbrush to, to reduce weight in his rucksack, like for the engineers that were in the room, wow. it was mind blowing. They were like, so ounces really equal pounds. And we're like, yeah, we've been saying that forever. It's, bro. it's simple math. Yeah. God, you're the dumbest smart person I've ever met. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So that that's was uh, that's what I did in between operational assignments. You know, some guys go drill sergeant. Some guys will work on the staff of their unit or whatever. I I went to the R and D shop to try to give back and find that's pretty cool gear. Yeah. That's really cool, man. Yeah. And, and just knowing a little bit, being around you and stuff, and just seeing what you've done on you know social media or internet things like that, I can definitely see how that would be a draw to you because you're real in the weeds with stuff like man. You go down and, and really get. I mean, you know everything about this one thing and, and why we're like, why you do this, why you do that. And, 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 and that's unique because not everybody's like that uh, no. and, and stuff. So that, that's, that's, a, that's a great value uh, to have. And, and I can see how you really ate that up. A, a lot of really talented, um, I, I guess we say operators, since we're talking about SWAT conference here, uh, a lot of talented um, operational people are kind of like race car drivers. They don't know crap about what makes their car work. Yeah. You know, yeah. that whole cold trickle thing. Like yeah. I know dudes that like their nicknames that they give widgets and gadgets and, and whatever. <laughs> like I once went into an arms room because they told me to go get the mag 58. Uh, That's a FN belt fed machine gun. That was the precursor to the two forty, but it had like a wooden buttstock and was carried by the European army. And we had replaced it like 15 years prior. And I'm literally looking for a mag 58. And uh, I'm like, I can't find it. And they're like, what are you stupid? It's in the drag bag on the left. And I open it up and I'm like, 
all I see in here is a 240, and they're like, that's what we meant. But this isn't a Mag 58. It's a 240. But that was the vernacular that was used for that widget, and that. operational people yeah. kind of can't be bothered with the nerdy terms for what stuff is. Yeah. They just know how it works. Yeah. You know? yeah. And there's, there, you look at your team. There's the gear guys. There's this guy. There's, and uh, that's what makes a team. You know, because not everybody can be this and not everybody can be that. So that's a, that's, that's a good thing because I'm not, I'm kind of, hey, man, I just, just give it to me. I like it. It works. Let's go. You know, that, that's me. Yes. Most guys are like that. Well, yeah. I thought I used to be like the gear guy, right? Yeah. yeah. Until like the these new kids, well, yeah. these new kids show up. Yeah. And dude, they are into it. Yeah. Like they are <laughs> gear guys. So now I'm going to them going, hey, who makes... Yeah. Makes that thing yep. that you're wearing like uh-huh. like oh okay then what parts do I need to buy like for that because yeah. now I'm do it so far it's Can you so send far me that gone. link because I don't even know how to search for that yeah it's so far gone from when I started I'm like shit man I don't mm-hmm. I don't know anymore I mean yeah. in the 90s it was U S cavalry and brigade quartermaster catalog hanging in a document shelf in the latrine of the SWAT team room. And yeah. you're sitting on the toilet flipping through yeah. the colored pictures saying, man, that, that vest looks really cool. Look at all the Velcro on that yeah. vest. And yeah. now they have the internet. Yes. Apparently. Yes. Yes. And there's some internet kings out there, man. Yeah. So how did you, like, was it just an easy transition from where you came from to get into the law enforcement training? Uh. And like with your dad and everything, I mean, is it like you want to go out there for that, like to help these dudes? No, both of my brothers are cops too. Well, oh, wow. One of them's no longer a cop. He's out working on the platforms now, but my youngest brother's a captain in a parish sheriff's department in Louisiana now. So yeah, I'm like the, the black sheep of the family that was not. I know, doubt that. <laughs> green, green sheep of the blue family or something, <laughs> whatever. Um, no, uh, I kind of, I kind of thought that I, I, had a little bit of a leg up as far as understanding cop culture um, from some of my DOD brothers. They figured out fast. I mean, guys that served in places where I served are complex problem solvers. They're going to figure out their new operational environment um, early on. Um, But, yeah, I just had a lot of problems transitioning to becoming a civilian, and that, that affected me professionally as well, just my whole struggle um, trying to identify who I was when I used, you know, mm-hmm. terms like operator to define me as a person. And yeah. then I wasn't that anymore. And I was very lost and alone and um, dealing with a lot of stuff. So, so that, that term defined you in a moment of time, not now. Yeah. It, I, I don't know. Um, Somebody once said in a, in a group discussion, they said, after you've been an astronaut, what do you do? Yeah. And then somebody else in our small group said, you run for Congress. <laughs> and that was like, boom, mm-hmm. mind blowing um, how deep that that statement was. Um, you're focused on how elite you are, how important your job is, how much you matter. You know, these delusions of grandeur that you have to be the one to save everybody, mm-hmm. that um, you don't understand that 
that the train's not going to stop moving. And as soon as yeah. you're gone, a younger, faster, stronger version of you is going to step right up and take your place. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, the same propaganda that draws you to do this job, and I don't say propaganda in a bad way, all the stuff in World War II about selling war bonds is propaganda. It was needed. You needed to convince the American people to get on board with something. You need to convince people to carry, well, you don't literally carry pagers anymore, but to be on call yeah. uh, and to accept this high-risk job because they're a true believer. You're playing on their inherent patriotism and um, dedication to, to something bigger than themselves. We play on that in our recruiting initiatives, no matter what the organizations mm -hmm. are. Um, so recruiting in and of itself is propaganda. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you drink that Kool-Aid that, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be the one that saves the world. Yeah. I'm going to be the one that saves the hostages. I'm going to be the one that stops the active shooter. And, uh, and then when it's time for you to transition and move on to something else, you start thinking about the, the world's going to burn. Uh, all the hostages are going to die. The active shooters are going to kill everybody because yeah. I'm not there. Yeah. And uh, that's an it's an unrealistic expectation, I think. Well, I think guys that went down the path that you that you went through in the military, man, y'all are on the in the red for a long time, and there's a lot of just pressure that you don't even realize that's on you, and then because you just get used to it, and you're like, this is just the way it is. Suck it up, man. We're all warriors in here. We all got to do this, and it takes a toll on you. And a lot of times you don't even realize that. And, and the other guys around you, it's kind of hard to confide in them because man, they got a job to do and you don't, you don't want to seem weak, the crazy guy, this and that. And so talk a little bit about just what that lifestyle does and, and, and just how it can affect you personally, how it can affect your family and, and, and stuff. Cause if you take your class, uh, you, you go into that, uh, like the last hour. And I think that's an amazing thing and guys need to know. And when I heard your story, man, I teared up and I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that. Um, and it, it gave, it gave me tears, it gave me goosebumps. And I can't tell you how many guys I've told that story to. And obviously I don't tell it as well as you do, but just so they know. So maybe they can reach out or maybe they can go, Oh man, if, if a guy like you and, and where you came from is having that, then man, that's okay. You know? Uh, I think that any first responder, you know, you see the, the citizens when they're at their worst. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you're, if it's in the back of an ambulance and a, and a child's body is shattered because they fell out of a tree or, uh, a trooper responds to a really bad traffic accident. I mean, a really bad traffic accident. Or, you know, obviously domestics are everybody's freaking worst <laughs> night, yeah. uh, both victim and perpetrator. Um, and, and, but when you're conducting combat operations overseas, you know, you're serving paper, uh, essentially. And so you're seeing families... And, and you can try to dehumanize them all you want to, but children are children, and yeah. they don't get to choose whether or not their father is a, is a terrorist or whatever. And uh, so on a long enough timeline, you're going to see um, some things that, that potentially are going to um, 
they're going to they're going to push up against your value system. If you were raised right, if you were a, a moral person, yeah. Uh, the 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 you know war just um, that things happen, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we we do our best to minimize collateral damage, but um, you know people people get hurt. Uh, yeah, I did I did CPR on a um, an infant, and um, this infant's dad had uh, gone into a safe room, and uh, we we discovered it. And the safe room had an air vent, and the air vent was directly over the area where we had called this guy's family out and tried to safeguard them and segregate them from the conflict that was going on in their home. Mm-hmm. And this guy uh, pulled the pin on a, uh, a FG something, whatever, Russian frag, and he pitched it out of the air vent, and it mm-hmm. dropped right into the middle of uh, his family. Oh. And in the darkness, this frag, nobody saw it. This frag goes off. And it hits multiple Americans. My team leader gets hit in the face. He's bleeding like a stuck pig. Um, another guy on my team was hit. had a had a piece of shrapnel lodge in his uh, myocardial sac around his heart. Um, uh, one of our Air Force brothers uh, ended up getting medically retired from the fragmentations he received. Mm-hmm. But it turned this dude's family inside out. Like mm-hmm. killed killed one of his wives dead right there. And uh, and so we're dusting off our guys, and and the civilians, uh, and and taking them, you know, out of harm's way. And I'm in this, you know, helicopter all by myself, because mm. um, everybody's still taking care of the, the crisis site, and uh, it's just me and the the crew of the helicopter and a bunch of wounded Afghan civilians, mm. and I'm doing CPR on this child. Uh, and we landed, and the you know, hell, uh, the medical personnel run out to the helicopter, and I just passed this infant off like while doing the compressions. Wow. And then I went, I went, you know, we dusted our guys off first. So I was given marching orders to go to the the field hospital, account for our sensitive items and equipment, and check on the status of our guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the boss who had to stay there, he trusted me as a senior guy to go kind of be his eyes and ears at that hospital until they could wrap up the operation and come meet us. And uh, on my way to go visit my team leader uh, in the, in his hospital room, I stopped and I saw them uh, wiping down the body of the infant, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's just one night. Yeah. That's one night on one mission of, you know, 16 years of GWAT. Yeah. Um, And so, uh, you can compartmentalize that, and we do compartmentalize well because we believe in the mission and yeah. we have to stay functional. Yeah, and so you just lock that away in the box with some other stuff you saw, mm-hmm. and you just keep putting in the box, and you keep telling yourself, "I'm going to deal with this when it's an appropriate time later on to be able to deal with this." And I think it is that transition from either retirement out of LE or retirement out of the military where you can't convince yourself that you have to keep that box closed anymore. And whether you like it or not, Pandora's box starts to open and you now have to cope with 
these moral injuries that you witnessed sustained it could be shame it could be you know shame that you that you were a coward on a mission uh or uh, uh, survivor's guilt that, uh, you know, one of your mates went down and you thought that you could have, or should have been there. Um, or, you know, you made a judgment call and you chose wrong and people were hurt and you, you had no, uh, civil or legal negative consequences for that, but you're still a human being. Just because yeah. somebody says you can do something doesn't mean mm-hmm. that under your own moral code, yeah. you feel that if you had had the totality of all the information you have in hindsight, that you would have still made that objectively yeah. reasonable decision. Yeah. You would have you would have constrained yourself or chosen a different course of action if you'd have seen how it all played out even if that doesn't lead to criminality or civil liability, yeah. um, your own moral compass uh, can, can be damaged um, as a result of, of high op tempo stuff like what we do, you know? Yeah. yeah and, that's, that's the, the, the kid stuff, man, that, that you, you talk to any, <clears throat> any law enforcement officer or first responder when they, when you lose a kid or something happens to a, a child, man, those, those are, those are those wounds that go deep and they're hard to, especially when you have a kid or whatever happens to that child is maybe the same age as you, your child that you, that you have, man, that really affects you. Um, so yeah, we've had two guys at the agency where I work at that I can think off the top of my head, kids. Um, yeah. Um, bad thing happened to a kid about the same age mm-hmm. as, as their child, right. Uh, problems with that. Um, another one finding a um, uh, a dead infant in a uh, porter potty, right? Um, that that that's messed with those uh, with those guys. And yeah, you're right, man. Anything with kids, man, just because the kids are so innocent. Yep, kids are so innocent. They they haven't made a a, a decision yet. They're just they're just there enjoying everything, mm-hmm. right? So my dad did not want to have kids. He was young. Uh, he you know obviously he got to see some of the the bad parts of humanity anyway, and he was kind of committed full bore to his job and uh he lost a uh, a child in a motor vehicle accident and the child was pinned in the vehicle and uh the the local police were like uh it's on the highway you're, you're scene trooper uh mm-hmm. and the fire department's like yeah we can't get him out he's gonna bleed out uh so you need to go ahead and stay with him and so my dad had to stay with this child until he bled out in the car and he came home that night and climbed in bed with my mom and he was crying and he said i, I want to have a I want to have a son. Mm-hmm. So I'm here because my dad saw that, that child, you know, wow. life go out. Wow. You know, it's, it, it, so, it's weird. Man. Cause when you do have a child and you're a police officer or military, you know, whatever, when you do have a child, you're like, okay, it, you're, you're happy that you had that child. But then like how twisted we are, when, like how our minds think you're like, Mm-hmm. Do I really want this kid to grow up in this world? Right. <laughs> I can't believe I just brought this this innocent little creature yeah. into this in, into this. Yeah. Nicholas right. Cage talks about that in the movie The Rock, and he's like, <laughs> yeah. "You know, it's a travesty of justice to bring a child <laughs> yeah. this world." And she's like, "Surprise, yeah. I'm pregnant." And he's like, "Yeah, no, kind of a lot's changed." And uh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And and I, and I struggle with that right now, just the way the world is just flipped on its head right yeah. now, and. I look at my my kids. I have one that's my youngest is twenty one, and my oldest is twenty five. And I'm like, man, you're you're young adults, and God, yeah. it's just rough. And then my grandkids, if that's if that's to be, I, 
it worries me. And I'm like, okay, but you're battling the, you're battling that constantly. And, and, I, and I hate being negative about it, but man, it's, it's rough. It's, it's rough. Cause especially in what we've done in our life, you, like you said, you see people on their worst day. No one calls us and goes, Hey, uh, my wife just got promoted. You want to come over and have a beer? Uh, my son just graduated college. You want to come eat steaks? Hell, that doesn't happen. It's yeah. my shitty son hit my wife and, and go deal with his ass. And, and yeah, we don't like doing that. We, I, I hate being involved in these family disturbances and it's y'all handle it. It's your family, not me. I can't fix 14 years of effed upness from, from y'all. So, so one of the things that I learned is that, um, you have to grieve or deal with these things. And, um, I always thought the idea of therapy was stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, I, I learned later on that, that talking about it, verbalizing the trauma and how that trauma made you feel is kind of like getting that off your chest. We have a, you know, we have a saying called get it off your chest. And mm-hmm. that's, that is why. And when you, when you bottle it up and bottle it up and bottle it up, you're going to start to get those stressors uh, that are associated with this cause, this causation. Uh, and then you start trying to treat the symptoms of you not dealing with your BS. And if you had just dealt with it, you wouldn't have all of the symptoms. And so whether that be your insomnia, hypervigilance, paranoia, uh, uh, quick temper, um, all of these things. And so that's when guys start, you know, pounding melatonin or, um, or they've got, they got a drink in order to, uh, be able to get to sleep at night. And it, and it just starts to become more habit forming. Uh, so, um, you know, somebody talked to me about, um, drinking once and they, they said self medicating. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? And there's literally you're using an over-the-counter stimulant to to no different than Motrin. Mm-hmm. You have yeah. these symptoms that are associated with trauma that you have observed and that has affected you because you're a moral person. And uh and the over-the-counter medication that you're taking for that is is booze. Yeah. Um that escape. Yeah. And if yeah. you if you eat too much Motrin, it eats a hole in your tummy. Yeah. You take too much Tylenol, it hurts your kidneys. Mm-hmm. Drink too much alcohol, and same thing. Your yeah. liver goes bad. You know? So, when did you first notice, or what did it take someone else to notice? Hey, man, Chuck, something's not something's up. Are you looking in that mirror like, man, who is this guy? When did you notice that? Uh, I think there was other people that noticed, and they just didn't think it was their place to say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're a, you're a high-function alcoholic until you're not high-function anymore, and then you're just an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Was there checks and balances where you came from, like in the group? Yeah. Was it like a stigma to go and say, hey, man, I think Chuck needs some help? Uh, I don't think anybody would say that. Uh, to uh, about someone else, but um, do you think they should though? I mean, like if you really see a problem with somebody, I mean, as a friend, yes. Um, I think that 
talking to somebody, not necessarily a full-blown intervention, but going to someone and saying, hey, man, I, I know, uh, you know, to not to talk about my, my situation, but like to put it in the team setting of like be, being in, in LE, um, you know, if you know that a dude that was always just kind of like a, you know, one of the party hounds on the team or whatever, when you know that he breaks up with his wife and now he's talking about how he's so happy, he's dealing the bachelor thing, you know, whatever. Um, if you know that that guy uh, liked to abide, uh, you've got to kind of realize that he doesn't have any accountability at home anymore. Mm-hmm. There's no one when he at his bachelor pad that's going to tell him, mm-hmm. you probably had too, right. too many. You've got to work tomorrow. And so when you start smelling him at work in the morning, you know he's been up. He's been up tearing it down, and he might be one of your highest performers. He might show up, and you show up to go do PT at six thirty, and he's coming out of the gym because he's ashamed that he stayed up until after midnight drinking on a weekday, yeah. and so he gets up, he goes in hungover, uh, and uh, he's trying to push more weight, pull more weight, run faster uh, to compensate for the fact that that he's hurting. And he's drinking by himself, and he doesn't feel good about it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, those those little cues to that guy, like you're going to morning shift brief, and uh, you catch him and you're like, hey, man, you probably want to stay away from Sarge, bro. You, I, I, I can smell you a little bit. You might want to sit in the back of the room. Mm-hmm. If that guy hears those that feedback enough, and he's really kind of hurting. Um, a lot of times, the uh, guys that are self-medicating like that, they they will live the lie as long as people will let them live the lie. And when they have the reality put in front of them, that's when they will ask for help. Um, but if everybody just wants to ignore the problem, yeah. they're going to convince themselves that they've got everybody fooled. And that nobody knows that they are that they're struggling, yeah. they're coping with these things. So, uh, yeah, I definitely think taking the problem head on directly to the guy, not to the boss, not to Sarge, but to the individual and letting so, him know, you know, I care about you. What that guy's like, hey Chuck, man, you know, thank you for caring for me, but I'm good. I know me. You do you. I appreciate you, but I'm gonna keep doing my thing. Um, as somebody that has uh, undergone treatment, uh, I will tell you that I saw people that wasted either their money or somebody else's money going to treatment. There were people that went to treatment uh, because their wife gave them an ultimatum. Yeah. Uh, there were people that went to treatment because their job gave them an ultimatum. Yeah. Um the people that did not truly believe that um, their life was becoming unmanageable and that they needed to change their lifestyle, those people would fake the funk through the process, and they would they would grit it out, and then we call it we call it white knuckling, uh, where you're you're 
you're technically sober, but you haven't processed the stuff that you that you need to do. And what what that is like if we if we accept that that you know alcohol or prescription drugs or whatever is self medication for your issue, um, if you take the booze away, um, then that person's unmedicated. Can you imagine going to a a burn ward mm-hmm. where somebody's got the push button self opioid thing going on and you walked up and just took the IV out of his arm and says, yeah. say, congratulations, I cured your opiate addiction. <laughs> now my man is on fire yeah. in the bed in the most excruciating pain of their life. And that is what dealing with the substance abuse and not dealing with the underlying moral injury and, and uh, psychological trauma that you've taken on this job. If, if you don't look at it holistically, if you're not attacking both of those, relapse, relapse or switch drugs. Wow. That's it. Yeah. Okay, I don't drink anymore. All the gummies I can eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I look like a kid in Easter. Pop, 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 pop. You know, taking gummies yeah. uh, or peyote or whatever. Yeah. So they're just going to find another medicine because they're unwilling to sit down and just tell another human being, have a good cry. Yeah, you found a baby in a porta potty. That is horrible. Yeah. Talk about it. Yeah. Talk about it with someone that would understand because they've seen a baby under a, a tire of an automobile. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned substance abuse or substance um, dependency. Have you seen other guys? not use maybe a drug, but use something else to fill that void and and, and stuff. Yeah. Um, So uh, high risk behavior can evolve into, um, into self-destructive behavior. Mm -hmm. When I was starting to go off the rails, I was driving like a complete idiot all the time, like just driving fast for no reason. Because you're so numb. They give you that like rush, that adrenaline. Just try to try to find that. Yes. So uh, you know that was when I look back. That was one of the like flags that went up. That like okay, you know, um, uh, so yeah, excessive speeding, um, badge bunnies. Uh, every, I won't say everybody, sorry guys that are listening. Um, <laughs> we probably have all met an officer that like y'all know that officer's wife and she is amazing. She's gorgeous. She loves him like whatever. And then the, then there's badge bunnies and they're like skanks or, or and you're looking at this guy like, dude, are you really going to like, put your marriage at risk for for like that bar skank like what is wrong with you that is another form of like almost self punishment yeah. where the, you're just going to you're just going to run it and you've got the rush of not getting caught but subconsciously like you're you kind of want to get caught so that you can be punished for feeling as bad about what's going on or whatever. So yeah, it's, it's all, all of those symptoms. It's a vicious cycle. Yeah. It's all there, man. Um, the, the hyper awareness thing, you know, like I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave the house with like without two guns and wow. I didn't care. I didn't care where I was going. Like if you didn't want me to have two guns on me, you better have 
a metal detector at the door. <laughs> um, and because see, I've never heard of that one. Like, oh, like, you know, like we, you know, we get classes with dealing with some PTSD stuff and, um, we have, you know, very little CIT training and, you know, uh, we do have a whole, um, a whole program at my department to where if you think, you know, someone needs help, then, you know, you go talk to these, uh, it's called the peer support group. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's, uh, they're, they're handled by a, a clinician and they have officers that are, that volunteer for this. I've just never heard of the hypervigilant, uh, as being, a as being, a uh, yeah. an issue. Yeah. After, after I was single, uh, I, I started sleeping in a chair like Leon the professional. And like the I did, I did not sleep in or... a, I didn't sleep in a bed for like four years. Wow. And uh and yeah, I it just um I carried a, a full medical like not like an IFAC, like a freaking squad combat lifesaver bag. Uh it was a man satchel, so you couldn't tell, but I was carrying like four tourniquets three rolls of combat gauze, five chest decompression needles, <laughs> like everywhere that I went. Wow. Um, I, I could have mascaled like right there, uh, you know, 40 something rounds of HST for the Glock 19, another, you know, two, two magazines for the Glock 43 on my ankle. Uh, I had two AR 15s. Were in you my doing truck. like, were you doing this plus, plus yeah. the self medication? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh Yeah. So just a freaking powder keg waiting to completely off the rails. Waiting to well, blow. I, well, I could completely see completely like, off the rails. I could see guys that go, man, that's Chuck, man. I know his background. Wow, if he's doing that, maybe maybe I should be doing that. If you know, looking at looking at you, going, oh man, not seeing the destruction part of it, and going, wow, that guy's really man. He's squared away. There must be a reason. There must yeah. be a reason he's doing that. Yeah, like right. so, I must do it too. Yeah, so I could right. see the the reverse on that, not seeing, not coming from the side of no this is destructive behavior and going no this is i'm putting man that's my hero look at what he's doing you know yeah so that's a that's interesting that's a um it's a rough life <laughs> it's not even really a life it's like a prison i guess what was the um i mean if you don't mind what what was the breaking point where you're like shit man i'm 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 fucked up man uh, i made it about 60 days after retirement and i was in jail <laughs> and uh you know, it just all came to a head. And so, um, what'd your old man say? Uh, my dad had passed away by oh. then. So thank God he didn't have to see. Yeah. Um, cause I got, I got picked up in, uh, I got picked up in high school and, uh, I remember my dad was driving us home and, uh, he had his, his class ring on his right hand and he is, <laughs> punching me in the face and bouncing my head off the window on the B pillar. He absolutely told me like, do not ever embarrass me in front of another, another cop. Yeah. So he had to go to the sheriff's substation and pick me up first skinny dipping with some, uh, she was underage, but I didn't know that. Um, and, uh, that's my story. Yeah. Right. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, dad beat me pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, I guess that's that's that as a, yeah, that's not so bad as what it could have been, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um so um professional embarrassment. Um because I'm assuming it's what year when when did this happen? 2017. So fucking 
everybody has their mugshot online. There's, there's pictures, or there, you can look up a you can look up somebody's name, and it's probably there. So I'm sure yeah. like your friends get like a like a like a rumor, like holy shit, man, Chuck's been picked up. Well, let's let's fucking pull it up and see. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, it, it it uh it was it was bad. Um, it had high level visibility. Um, that sucks, man. And so, uh, it was probably like the best thing for you, right? Yeah, I mean, probably, but not the time. I, I just wish that I had. I wish that I had come to that realization without getting so close to to rock bottom. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, I was, I was staring out at the abyss. But do you think um, someone with your mindset and your mentality and where you've been? That's just sometimes that's just what you have to go through because you can't learn the lessons the easy way. It's like, I got to hit, I got to be punched in that face. My dad's got to reenact, hit me against that pillar again. Cause yeah. a lot of times we're so damn hard headed that it, it takes a lot to get through our heads. Um, cause you, so this happens, um, and you, you get treatment and it's in, it was in Texas, right? Mm-hmm. Bandera. Yeah. 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 I went to, uh, I went to warrior's heart. Um, it was founded, uh, by, a, a couple and a, a former DOD guy, uh, from my old work. Um, and, uh, I reached out to Tom and I said, man, my, my life is in, is in complete crisis right now. Like I, I, I don't even know what to do. And uh, Tom asked me, said, "Hey, you know, I got one question for you. Do you want to change your life?" And I said, "I do." And so uh, this facility that they created is called Warrior's Heart, and it is uh, in Bandera. It's a uh, former Conoco Oil uh, executive retreat where the executives would go there and and party and stuff. Uh, and uh, during the, the, the oil downturn, when the, the prices fell out, Conoco sold the property. And so they bought this 550-acre ranch in Bandera, and they do uh, PTS and substance abuse rehabilitation. Uh, but the special thing about it is that it is for first responders only. So all of the clients are veterans uh, or uh EMS, fire, police. Yeah, that's what it says right here, man. Only yeah. fire, law enforcement, military, or or uh, EMT personnel. Yeah, yeah. and it's it, amazing. It. I didn't know how amazing it was until uh, I was there, and obviously it was my first time in rehab. But it was not everyone's first time in rehab, and I had a uh, Texas peace officer in uh, there with me. Uh, I, I won't say his agency or his name. Um, cause although Texas is big, it's probably not that big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but he had been to rehab before and he talked about how he was not able to have the discussions in group therapy that he needed to, because he didn't feel like he could talk in that forum. Uh, he listened to stories of, um, criminals yeah. that, talked about how they burglarized houses to finance their crack habit. So he's sitting next to a a, a criminal and 
uh, or this trophy wife that doesn't work and she's totally rich and she doesn't really have any problems in her life other than the fact that her her doctor husband is sleeping with all the nurses at the hospital. And so she decides to cope with that with Oxycontin and red wine. And she gets popped at 3 p.m. on a Wednesday at, a, at an insurance checkpoint. And now she's been professionally embarrassed, you know, in the neighborhood. Right. She's the lush that got the DUI. And so she's talking about how terrible her life is. And, you know, he's the guy sitting in between these two thinking about the baby in the porta potty or right. whatever. He's like, how do I don't I, give a shit. How do yeah. I even follow yeah. that? Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I've served my community. I've been doing good things, and these good things have turned me into a monster. Yep. Yeah. So, um, there, there was, there were things that were probably said there that that these people had never shared with even their own their own spouse. Yeah. Um, and that's that's where the healing goes. People that are carrying baggage around um people that were abused as children yeah and nobody ever knew that -hmm. they had been you know sexually abused as a child and so you they're like oh yeah that person's an alcoholic because it's genetic uh just because they've been drinking as long as you know them doesn't necessarily mean that they could have started self-medicating before they ever even joined le or ever even joined fire because their creepy uncle touched them when they were seven yeah and uh, I mean, the law enforcement community probably knows it better than the average citizen how really yes. uh, epidemic uh, child abuse is, um, you know, yes. in our society. Yes. We just don't talk about it yep. enough, you know. But and this place looks amazing. It, it saved my life. Man. I mean, really, I mean, like this place looks amazing. And I think the fact that they only do, you know, first responders and military, I mean, yeah, it's 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 different, you know, like you said, green and blue, but um kind of the same a little bit. Yep. You know, see so like humanity at its worst. Yeah. The circumstances are different. Um but as a cop, all professional, you know, joking aside, when you hear a fireman, fire firefighter, sorry, when you hear a firefighter <laughs> talk about uh their Scott tank hitting the bottom of a toddler's bunk bed and and they can't reach to get the toddler under the bed that hid there from the fire mm. and they have to hook their underoos with the halligan tool to pull the lifeless body close enough that they can grab an ankle like you get it yeah yeah you were never a hose dragger but you get it yeah and so yeah that's that's the deep healing yeah and and some of the stories you like it actually kind of makes you feel like Man, I'm not nearly as jacked up as you know, <laughs> yeah. I, or I haven't seen nearly yeah. some of the horrific stuff no, that some no. of these other people uh, have. You know, because trauma is trauma. Yep. Uh, yeah. No matter well, if you're out of country doing it, in country doing it, if you're wearing this uniform or that uniform, and I think we all deal does. with things. Yeah. We all deal with things differently, and depending on your upbringing, your background, and, yeah. and things that you have done or seen all that's going to come into play with how you deal with something like that. And I think too, where you are in life, everyone in life, man, it's that roller coaster, man. I could be up on the top of that, of that roller coaster and everything's going good, man. My kids are doing good. Me and my wife are doing good. Everything's good. And something could traumatically happen. You're like, okay, well I got a good base right now, but you never know when that's going to happen. It could be, 
damn it, man, my kid's in middle school right now. And he's a little shit. And my mom's in bad health. And man, me and my wife are not, not getting along. And then bam, something happens at work and you can go deeper or you can, you can climb out. It, it, you, you don't know until you, until it happens. So you said something like a place in your life yeah. at that moment when you retired, knowing that you can't go back there. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that part, you made it to the peak and now you're, you're done. You know, we're talking about like the shelf life earlier. Was that one of those things where you think that was kind of like what pushed you over the edge there? hundred percent. So, you know, we're talking about earlier, like, Hey, if that guy can't meet a certain standard, maybe we back him off this a little bit, bring him down to a port and cover team. Right. Yep. Other than a salter. When he can't meet the standard of a port and cover team, maybe we back him down to like a gear guy or support element. Easy back him out of that than just saying, man, you're done cold turkey. You think that would have helped you at all? Or do you? That, what ends up happening, though, unfortunately, is, is due to um, just the, the turnover rate and things like that. Like an organization can only absorb so much extra baggage. And, um, so, you know, when, when, when the, when the, the tail gets longer than the, you know, the dinosaur or whatever, it, it's counterproductive. Mm-hmm. It also could set a bad example to those that are still working like, oh, look, you can hang out and you don't have to be on the pager and you, you know, you still get all the benefits of being uh, in this fraternity, but, yeah. but you're not having to put in the work anymore. So at some point, the leadership of an organization have to say like, look, you know, we have to look at the mission of the organization first. Taking care of our people is a subset of that, but we can't become a self-licking ice cream cone. And, uh, and so they, they're gonna, they're gonna do you, you have these kind of crusader leaders that come in and they're like, man, we got way too much ash and trash around here. It's time to clean house and make the organization more lean and get back to, you know, our, Mm -hmm. our standards and our focus. And, and, uh, during those purges, people got to go. And, uh, so I, I don't, uh, I don't begrudge the fact but is the organization is yeah, is the organization getting better at taking like as is getting better at doing that and taking care of the guy so this doesn't happen because i'm because here's the deal i mean if it's happened to you right i mean you know what i'm saying i mean it happens up to a lot of guys a lot of guys i i don't want to speak for you know any of the organizations that i used to serve in um but from talking to former veteran or from talking to former coworkers that are still in things have changed. Um, there's, they're constantly evolving, trying to get new programs, streamlining the process for wellness, uh, uh, transition glide slope, um, to, to get guys out so they don't just show them to the door and, and, you know, because, you know, like the only reason I ask is because like, like for us, I mean, that's yeah. a big thing for my department is, is like the wellness and the mental wellness and, yeah. and, and the mental health and, um, our department or my department, um, man, they help these guys tremendously. Yeah. I mean, too. they don't just push them out and get them out the door. They really truly care. Right. Like that's the one thing that I will say my department does outstandingly. Those guys will like, they truly care. They will try to get this person as much help as they can. 
Right. And of course, again, it's like we talked about, it's kind of up to that person to, to, to kind of take that help in. Yeah. Right. Yep. So we talked about earlier before we, before we got on, got on the air here of just being, being a leader and being able to manage your personnel. And we talked about, Hey, if we're going to do something, you know, Derek's a bigger, big guy and muscled up and stuff, and he's not going to be the guy who's going to go, Hey, let's get in the attic or he's got to go through this small crawl space. He's going to be the dude that's going to hit the door and being able to that. We're okay with that. We're okay with, because that's just the function of, Hey, this is his body type and this is my body type and my skill level. But when you get a little bit older and you're not maybe as fast as you once were, but man, you still have that mental mindset that man outthinks everyone. But sometimes that's a shot to people's egos and things like that. But we don't ever look at it as that's the betterment for the team to put you, like you said, on a port and cover window. And hey, that 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 senior guy, man, he knows he's not going to blaze someone down that doesn't need it and, and thinking like that. But why do you think that is that we don't do a good job at doing it that way? We do it a, a good job of doing it the other way with, hey, this is your skill set. And this is, you know, that when you kind of tell a guy, well, I mean, you're kind of slipping, but you're still good enough. Why do you think that is? Pride, ego? I mean, just – or do we do – I guess, can we do better than that? Is that something that you would say we need to do on teams and, and start maybe making that part of the culture where that's – hey, we just know we can do that. I I think that, you know, obviously the, you should have standards in, mm-hmm. in any organization. Um but I don't necessarily think that the application of discipline or anything like that should be uniform. You hear people constantly talk about how double standards are bad. Well, if I have two guys and they both get in trouble in the Army, like when I was a Ranger platoon sergeant, they both get in trouble. One of these dudes is a high-end performer and has sacrificed more personally, has uh, embodied the ideals of our organization, has struggled in, or uh, strove in his own time to better our organization. Yeah. And the other guy is waiting to for his four years to be over because he realized that he made a terrible decision joining the army and he's going to get out. If anybody thinks that I should punish both of them equally because the crime was equal, I disagree. I think that we should be smart enough as leaders to be able to adjudicate and then have the moral courage to stand for, by our conviction. And when somebody's like, Oh, I like the double standards that are going on over there. Uh, he let he let so and so slide, and he threw the book at so and so, and be able to immediately go guns on to that allegation and say so and so was a great guy, and that other dude was a boat anchor on our team. Yeah. Of course, I'm going to take that guy's positive service into account. And we used to call it blue chips. When you do something amazing, when you do something above board or whatever, you're 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 accruing this positive opinion uh by your peers and by your superiors. And those are your blue chips. Yeah. And then if you step on it, if you have enough blue chips, you can cash in your blue chips and now you're broke, but but you're not you're not yeah. out. 
It's like us using our coupons. Yeah. 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 Yeah, We got coupons that, yeah, Yeah. I'm constantly carrying, I'm constantly (laughs) tearing coupons out of my book and at work trying to. Well, and I think too, that the guy who um, has a lot of blue chips uh, in his, in his account, more times than not, he's just going to willfully give you those before you really even probably have to address him because that's just the kind of guy he is where he's like, Hey boss, I fucked this up, man. Like, and you know, it's eating at him. So why do I need to jump on him even more as opposed to, hey, yeah, you fucked it up. You already own it. And let's build you back up to, to this and let's build those blue chips back up. Because the other guy who's just there, it, it doesn't matter how much you yell. It, it, it doesn't. It, at the end, it, it doesn't matter uh, because he's not going to get it. And I think that's where those other guys and the, and the, always what I've saw, what I've seen in, 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 in where I come from is. The guys who bitch about, oh, well, that's not fair, that's a double standard, they're the other guy who just hasn't done something yet that's got caught. Because the other blue chip guy over here is like, yeah, that's that's fucking right. Yeah, that, our bosses did right by us because that guy didn't deserve that. Um, so I, I think you're right on that. And, and then you got some leadership that just, I say leadership loosely. When I say that, it's just they don't even understand that. And, and it's We all get punished the same and – or it, well, I hate that. Just well, one guy did this, so everybody has to do this now. We got to change. I, I, that just I think leaders, true me. leaders, treat everybody the same, which is differently, right? <laughs> because you because you know your dude's personalities. Yeah, you know that I can probably hammer this dude a little bit harder because he will take it and he will go with it. This guy, I gotta wear little kitty gloves because if I hammer him too hard, he'll just fucking crumble and we'll never re, you know like we'll never get him back for that day of training or evolution, whatever it is. Right. So it's the same, but it's, you treat everybody the same, which is you treat everybody different as a leader. That's how I try to lead guys on, 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 on my team. Yeah. Oh, I think I'll look at my two kids. What one, what would be punishment for one would not be punished with the other one and vice versa. And it's knowing your kid's heart and knowing the personalities and things like that. Not that you're easier on one, but when we spank my son, you're like, I don't really care, but I took away his G.I. Joe's. Oh, man, that was bad. Uh, so it's the same thing with guys. You tell a guy, uh, like I said, most of the time when guys mess up, they're so embarrassed or they're, they're so disappointed that, man, they let the guys down. Mm-hmm. That's that's more punishment than you could give me by giving me days off. No, but what man, bothers me guys, is man. the other group of guys that don't give a shit about that. Yeah. Cause I'm kind of like that. That bothers me. Cause like if, if I fuck up something on operation, man, I let Chuck down, man, I let Brandon down yeah. by, by making this mistake. The part that I, the part that I hear, the guys are just like, meh. Okay. Yeah. Or blame someone else. Well, yeah. I mean that. Yeah. I, I'm glad that I think in the SWAT community we're we were less like in the in the bigger picture of the police department. Uh, that's where I see it daily in the in the big picture of the police department, and, and that's a hard. And I get it, man. I mean, you got a, especially a large department. Things checks and balances are really hard, but you know, smaller units a little bit easier. Uh, so, so let's go back to or let's go to some training. So, one of the classes that um, that you teach is the uh, no fill. Uh, pistol and no fill rifle, or I guess it's, 
I guess it was at the conference for hostage. I don't know if you changed that or was it hostage a, rescue handgun. Okay, is that the um, same as no fail? It's yeah, it's okay. essentially the same. Course. Okay, all right. So you're real big on man accountability for those rounds, and and I liked when you were talking because you were able to get into the police world of you're big on do you got Graham? Do you not have Graham? Uh, and man, that was huge. When you started talking that, I was like, man, you're talking my Interesting. language. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what was. Cool. I've never heard. I've never heard that come out in a firearms class. I've heard yeah. it come out in like a use of force class. Yeah. No, but never a firearms class. No, it's, it's awesome because I know what I don't know. And Tom Spooner, the the individual I was talking about that did Warrior's Heart, he was trying to teach CQB uh, when he was at Northern Red to all these SWAT teams, and they wanted to argue about tactics, especially about hallway and reach stuff what tom wanted them to get was four man minimum three clears opposing corners um and in order to get them to get on board with that he had to pick his battles and so he essentially told whatever swat team was paying him like i don't care what you do in the hallway you do what you ever you want over there but be open to changing your mind and doing what i say at threshold Mm -hmm. and it was kind of like a give and take with these teams so for me the course basically starts with objective reasonableness has been met because i don't understand everything that used to be the use of force continuum that is now the range of available reasonable options and i don't (coughs) know about your policy and things change in different ways the interesting part about that is a lot of agencies are going to the Graham doctrine yep. for their yep. policy, right? Yep. yep. So when you said that, because my department's one of them, I'm like, yeah. holy shit, I have never heard right. a firearms instructor in a, in a scenario-based class like Hosh's Rescue with a Pistol say, hey, we're just going to start off with, you, do, do you have Graham? Yep. From the military side. Yeah. yeah especially like, as a DOD <laughs> guy, right? Because that's all we do is kill people in Iraq. Yeah. Not, what do we mind, have? <laughs> mind blown. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, I, and I stole that line now when I talked to And to I'm going to steal it too, yeah. just so you know. And, and, and I say that and because when you say that, that clicks with law enforcement. When you say reasonable, totality of the circuit, all, all those catchphrases, Russ, that means something. Because a lot of times when military guys come in, they're using these initials and stuff. I'm like, I wouldn't know. I don't know what this means. I don't know. What? What, is it, what? And I'm Googling over here like, oh, that's what it means. You know. So let's break this one down. One that can be controversial uh, to red shirts in academies and things like that. Uh, trigger prep. Uh if you teach somebody to prep the trigger every time they come out of the holster, then they're going to trigger prep, even if they're using the firearm and its presence with verbal direction as part of a, a use of force uh, option. And then what happens if they have a negligent yep. discharge? We've seen videos of it, right? So when I talk about trigger prep, to shut that down for somebody that says trigger prep is too risky, my deal is, did you have Graham before you went for the gun? If there's a gunfight in progress and you are a spectator of said gunfight and you're trying to become a participant of said gunfight, then squeaking one off early as you present on the threat doesn't <laughs> good. matter. Right. Yeah. So the, the the kind of the litmus test is if there was a pistol in your hand and you were pointing it at the suspect, would you already be firing? And if the answer is yes, then when you snatch it out of the holster, go ahead and start prepping. So I'm one of those red matter. shirts. Like so like Sorry, I'm one of those no, no 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 no. But it's a big no, red shirt no, that yeah. has to wear. 
I'm one of those red shirts, and I love these debates because um, I kind of tell guys the same thing. I say, you have mentally already made your mind up that you're shooting that guy. That's when we prep that trigger, right? That's when we're doing that. Now, if I'm using that as a show of force, no, I go to what? So, like, for me, a high rate position is my I'm challenging you position, right? Some guys, you know, teach, like, high readies out. No, this is I'm getting ready to fucking shoot somebody position, right? So... That's how I teach that. So I agree. With, I mean, I agree as a red shirt. Right. <laughs> I agree 100% with that. Um, and when I drive fire, uh, I do the same mental thing. Even if it's a, you know, a bullseye or a reduced size USPSA and there's actual nothing there. Uh, if I'm going to trigger prep on that holster draw repetition or drive fire on that holster uh, repetition, then I will say in my head, gun. And then I snatch for the holster. If wow. I don't say gun, then I use that rep to index the slide and activate the gun light. Because maybe my man went in the hoodie, but yeah. he's pulling out his wallet to show me something. So maybe it's a lack of light is the reason why I have not gotten to objective reasonableness. So um, I'm indexed. I'm not prepping. I'm not going to ND on this guy and my gun lights on to uh -huh. let me know what's going on over there. So every repetition out of the holster is either a flashlight activation or a dry fire click after prep. Um, and it's all separated by me mentally saying gun. And when I yeah. started doing that, I, I like used that. to verbally say gun, gun. to myself. Yeah. I like that. So, yeah, you know, we, we've, we've talked to a lot of guys and man, anybody who's, good at their craft with, with, with handling a, a, a weapon always talks about dry firing, but you're the first one that's mentioned, Hey man, the mental part of, Oh, weapon, gun, danger, whatever word you're going to use, uh, to do that. That's the first time I, I, I've yeah. heard that. I, I'm, I'm going to steal that one too as well. So and the good thing is, is there's a lot of people are going to steal this because all the millions of followers we have. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By this time, by yeah, episode nine, yeah. we'll have a ton of followers, a million. I hope so. so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or this is going to be an epic fail. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Chuck. Your episode nine never aired because we never got any followers. We got three episodes. So, uh, but um, no, that was one of the one of the big reasons I um, I wanted to have have you on is because of that class. Um, I thought it was just. I thought it was really remarkable, and I think that goes back to what we talked about earlier with you being that R&D side of just, man, I'm going to dig. I'm going to dig some more, and you come from your Army side and then coming into the uh, law enforcement side. Man, that was an amazing thing for you to humble yourself and, and to know. I probably had to probably do with your family as well, being in law enforcement, hearing those stories and stuff. But, man, I appreciate that you're able to connect with us, with the with the language and just the the process of what you're saying. Because you're right. It's 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 great to be able to have a freaking well, fast pack timer time. And yeah, I did this. But, man, there's sometimes where I'm drawing my gun real quick. And then, oh, shit, that's not what I thought I saw. Or, oh, that's not a gun. Or, man, his hands are up now. And, I mean, I've had several times where I've come out. I mean, I'm getting on that trigger. And then all of a sudden, that gun is coming down. Or, oh, that wasn't a gun that that, that he did reach for and stuff. So, because that's the most final thing you'll ever do. And when you're doing the most final thing you ever do, you better be sure that you got, the, you got it right. What were you going to say, Big D? Nothing, man. I was just – just I love the gun stuff. I love talking gun tactics and, and, yeah. and training techniques and, you know, seeing 
what you guys do versus what we do and what can I steal from you and kind of use from your experience. Do I think all of it works for us in our area of operation? Probably not. Do I think most of it works? I do. I really do. And I try to, I mean, I, I try to steal as much of stuff like that as I can and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to use that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I found a video on YouTube of you talking about the flinch. Yeah. My, uh, my surefire, yeah. uh, surefire field notes. Um, that's kind of a big part of, uh, no fill pistol because I think that it accounts for a pretty significant portion of, um, of misses or not hits, not to the desired critical area that you were looking Yes. I agree with that. I, it's like probably 90 fucking percent. The problem with new shooters and then shooters that don't shoot on a regular basis. Right. Um, and, and people, uh, I don't think a lot of them have, have got, gotten down in the weeds and tried to figure out, like, why does this happen? And I joke, again, it's part of, like, that establishing rapport with, yeah, my, yeah. My cop, uh, with, with my cop audience or whatever. So, of course, I've got to tell, like, a cliche, you know, badge bunny stripper story or whatever. <laughs> and I talk about the stripper range date. Like, uh, I'm a big, I'm a big, you know, beef neck SWAT man, and uh, and I'm gonna take this this dancer out on a date. Of course, I'm gonna take her to the range. She's never shot a gun before, right? And so you take her to the range, and you're like, all right, equal height, equal light, open sights, pull the trigger straight to the rear. Uh, you know, hold the gun in both hands like this or whatever. And she's in like some hoochie outfit or whatever. Yeah, and you're just hoping that like a piece of brass doesn't go down in the cleavage and burn. You know, give her a, yeah, a yeah. burn mark. And uh, and so she does exactly what you say. Boom, X-ring. And boom, X-ring. Boom, X-ring. And you're like, I'm the best instructor ever. <laughs> you know, I, I, not only am I an awesome SWAT operator, but apparently I they should send me to the academy because I know how to teach anybody how to shoot. And then uh, it takes her between about six rounds and a half mag for her brain to figure out the cause and effect. And that same woman is able to now throw a bullet 36 inches low at seven <laughs> yards for the second half of your mag. And it just goes off the wheels and the wheels mm. come off that fast. Mm. And I had to break that down. Like why, why do girls, lady cops, I'm not picking on y'all specifically. This is a date scenario here. <laughs> why do, uh, why, why, why do girls do that? And it's not that they're girls. It's that they're new shooters. If you took any new shooter as soon as their brain figured out that there's a certain tactile sensation of that trigger finger that happens immediately before that scary explosion, controlled explosion, that's what a gunshot is, that is going off in your hands, uh, the brain now is going to start to mitigate that controlled explosion as soon as it feels the thing even if the thing hasn't happened yet mm -hmm. and that's the flinchies man so basically i explain it to the to to the recruits is that's your brain mentally telling you that the gun's about to go bang and you're trying to mitigate that recoil by pushing down the gun correct right so and i tell them don't do that well, how do you not do that <laughs> let the gun surprise you let the trigger you know and, and, and i and i throw out all those cliches and all the shit that you know you tell but <clears throat> i really get it because they don't think they're doing it 
right? I go, well, the fucking target is telling me that you're doing it. Like, you know how to aim because I'll have them aim the gun and I'll pull the trigger for them and they'll hit X ring, right? Mm -hmm. But as soon as they do it, fuck, like you said, 36 inches down, Yeah, right? So they know how to do it, but um, I use dummy rounds. I load the mags for them and dude, when they actually sit or I record them and when they see that happen, they're like, okay, yep, you're right. You're not lying to me. Well, no shit, dipshit. I'm not lying to you. It's my job to help you. And and ball dummy has been a big uh we we turned it into this big theatrical event where you've got to have a partner and you know you're standing here with your arms up and your partner's taking the gun out of the holster, setting it up in a condition where it's either gonna be a click or a bang, putting it back in the holster, and then you're allowed to draw and, and shoot, and it either goes click or it goes bang. Um but when I was teaching myself how to shoot, uh I realized that I needed ball dummy in my life because I had the flinchies bad. And so I bought X amount of snap caps and I was shooting a single stack uh, 45 at the time. And I had about 12 Wilson mags that I would bring out there and I would randomly load those snap caps in all of my magazines. Just mix it up. Mix it up and then jam them in the pouches. And no matter what drill I was working on, I was going to get a stoppage once every match. So if you're working like an accuracy drill and boom, you hit it or a speed drill or a combat drill, you just, you just didn't know. I like that. I'm going to steal that too. And so I would get the rack. <laughs> I, I told would get you the, I wanted uh, it on here. I would get the rack bang or the tap rack bang, depending on what, what your, what your SOP was. So I got, a, I got an immediate uh, stoppage clearance out of the deal, but I also got the shame of watching myself shank that gun uh, prior to, so how many that. how many trigger pulls of that until you actually said, okay, now I'm mentally going to make this happen, and then you get out of it? I still deal with the flinchies. Really? Yeah. Um, they, 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 they come back. Um, it's really easy to get out of timing. That's the other thing is you can sell somebody on the idea of trigger prep, but if it's not consistent – then they're not going to they're there. So for me, trigger prep is the first shot. You set yourself up for success, for success, for sex, for sex, for yeah. success with that first shot prepping trigger. If I'm in a combat situation, you know, you're pulling a gun on me. I'm pulling a gun on you. I'm act, you know, I'm uh, acting on your, um, I'm sorry. I'm reacting off your action. That first trigger, that first, when I'm trying to prep on that presentation, I mentally made my mind up. And then after that, I'm on off on off, hoping that my, I call it a triangle mm-hmm. is sturdy enough to maintain a little bit of recoil management and keep that front sight somewhat center mass. I'm, I'm a little bit heavier on the trigger control and that's only because uh, that discipline carries over to strong hand only and weak hand only shooting. Okay. So, uh, you know, I tell the guys that your support hand grip is your golden parachute. Yeah. It will get you out of a lot of stuff. It'll keep the gun tracking flat. Same here. Uh, the flinchies do not affect your support hand grip. So if you have a monster vice support hand grip and you have a complete and total flinchy, it's like flinching into a sandbag or flinching into a vice. Uh, you might be able to keep a uh, a shot in the A zone if you're talking USPSA. Um, that would have been Charlie if you did not have a uh, good a, a good, good support, support a good strong support yeah. hand. Yeah, but if uh, if if I ambush you in your whip and you're sitting there, you know, uh, messing around on the tough book, and you catch one in the clavicle, and now you open the door and you dump out on the ground, um, 
and you're you're doing the reach across the duty belt, defeat the retention, roll the pistol around. Now that golden parachute that was solving all of your lack of trigger control Gone. problems, yeah. it's holding the damn gun. Yeah. And uh, so if you end up with that blaster in your left hand, unless you're a dedicated shield guy or on a ladder or something like that, if you are doing that because your right hand is not working anymore, uh, you better have figured out how to not flinch uh, that pistol because you have a limited amount of rounds. The only thing worse than shooting weak hand only is having to do the kabuki dance of a slide lock reload because (laughs) you couldn't seal the deal in the magazine of bullets that you had in the pistol. And people start trying to accelerate their rate of fire with support hand only. As soon as that gun goes on my support hand only, uh, I'm like promising to my God that like I don't care how many bad guys there are. I'm finishing the gunfight with however many bullets are in this gun because I ain't about that reload life. Uh, support hand only. So every bush, every bullet becomes even more precious to me. So uh, there's the little the little girl, you know, meme with her hands like this, and it says, "Why why not both?" And that's that is how I feel about this. Is not a nine mil versus forty five argument. Support hand grip, trigger control are complementary to one another, uh, but trigger control can stand on its own. Support hand grip cannot stand on its own when you cannot have both hands. So on the gun. when Chuck goes to train, are you like? <clears throat> Starting off like with more trigger control and then getting into the combat speed, trying to maintain the accuracy and the control of the gun and plus add a little bit of speed into it. And then you reach that threshold where you start to open up and then you back off a little bit or you push past that. Um, most people have adva- advanced shooters, SWAT guys. They have sought out... Um, performance shooting whether that be a tactical guy that's a performance shooter that claims that they're a performance shooter or whether that be the on the competitive side and the tactical guys that claim to be performance shooters they were trained by competitors Mm -hmm. Uh, make no bones about it uh the best way for any human being to accomplish any task has been figured out by those that hold records for doing that task. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we used to argue about Weaver versus Isosceles, kind of settled science now. Nobody shoots Weaver uh, in the competitive world. Compressing the gun towards you is something that you have to do because of space in a, in a meth trailer. It's not because that's the most effective way to run the gun. Um, so uh, nothing that I'm trying to put out there is against performance shooting that competitors do, uh, I realized that people that have been taught how to run a gun well are visually not seeing the gun when it's going off the rails. Um, just like there, there are people that don't realize they made a Charlie. A grandmaster, when he, if he comes out of the holster and he points a gun at a USPSA target and it's not in the A zone, it will actually take longer for his brain to realize that he is not in the A zone, physically make the gun go to the A zone, and then shoot. And that is because of the visual lag, which is about 0.2 seconds. That grandmaster's ability to manage recoil because of his awesome support hand grip is about a 0. 0.12, 0. 0.14, 0.16, somewhere in there, split time. So it's faster for him to shoot the C-zone, knowing that he did it, and then ride the recoil into alpha, and then fire two alphas. 
So he goes, Charlie Alfalfa. And all of the rest of us knuckleheads watching him run his stage <laughs> don't even kind of realize what happened. And the sum total of his crappy presentation of his gun on that stage is 0.14 seconds slower than he would have been and one bullet gone out of his magazine. Uh, so that may or may not mess up his stage plan, but he has the luxury of being able to shoot a Charlie that is not a child with a gun to its head. Yeah. Uh, and, um, but, but he's visually seeing that. And then you got like knuckleheads like me, you know, that go to the USPSA batch or whatever. And like, I didn't even see that it was on that side of the perf. And so I'm like, pew, <laughs> pew, pew, pew. And I don't know that I fired a Charlie alpha cause I only shot it twice. See, I didn't shoot it three times because I didn't see it going off the rails. So I shoot a Charlie Alpha, and then I hear the tape squad say, Charlie Alpha. And I'm like, I shot a Charlie. <laughs> I, I shot a Charlie. Um, so the Grandmaster is seeing things visually that regular mere mortals are not seeing because they have not put in the time or the effort to to be that good, right? Yeah. Um, and so my course is kind of geared towards people that are trying to emulate high-end uh, athlete performance, but they don't have the resources or the time or they haven't put in the effort to do it. So, uh, you know, to use a football analogy, you can't eat nachos and drink beer and watch Tom Brady and be like, man, I think I'm going to go out and throw the football. <laughs> like, dude, you're not Tom Brady. If you throw the football, it's going to be intercepted with your wobbly ass, non-spiral throwing ass. You're awesome. You're Uncle Rico. And so you can't watch, <coughs> excuse me, you can't watch a YouTube video of a grandmaster and yeah. be like, I'm going to shoot .14 splits. I mean, maybe you can work your finger that fast, but you're not going to get the accuracy, the accuracy that the part, grandmaster yeah. Uh, can. Yeah. So... So I'm trying to ground these guys in accountability. I don't take the pro timer out. I give them an accuracy standard. I mean, the pro timer does come out. But but when they're doing the drills, I give them an accuracy standard. Like, okay, we're going to use this B8 target, and it's either a hit or it's a miss. If it lands in the black, you hit. If it lands in the white, you miss. missed your accuracy standard that I've given you. And in terms of how consistent you need to be, uh, if I'm trying to get better, better, excuse me, I'm gonna let some fly out. Out. Um, that's that's over throttling. That is that is a, a hallmark of competitive shooting. Is that you have to go beyond your capability if you want to raise the bar. Um, but if I still have to go ten eight, uh, ten eight, um, then I need to be able to ratchet that back in and perform. So I can't let my practice to get to the next level be locked in as the new neural pathway or muscle memory pending becoming fully proficient. Um, and that's the danger zone when you're still a work in progress and you have not yet locked in your new cadence or your new rhythm. And so your outcome is inconsistent until you get all the reps in that you need. So by doing an 80%-ish uh, accuracy standard, it's going to take me longer to get to the desired goal than a competitor that knows when they need to be good for their outcome. Like nationals are in three weeks, so they can commit to a, a thing until until they achieve it and they know when they have to be that good. Um, so 
I try to take it in a little bit more bite-sized steps. Uh, and, and that way my outcome is a little bit more predictable for, for me. If I have to go out and get an OIS right now, I have a better understanding about what I'm going to be able to deliver in terms of my performance. And so then I let the guys do the speed on their own. Like let, well, you, let your wobble zone be your guide. Speed you will know? come, right? Right. And, and if you are more proficient in your gun handling, if you're more efficient in your draw, if you're getting the red dot in front of your eye faster than other officers are, then you are going to be able to hold 80% standard and your shot cadence is going to be better because you're bringing that performance gunfighting, that performance competitive stuff to this drill that I'm asking you to do. So I'm not telling you slow, slow is just slow. I'm not telling you to shoot slow because we're doing precision now. Get the dang gun out of the holster. Get it in front of your face. Get on that trigger, but watch your red dot. And if that red dot starts departing the reservation, you need to be able to, to cease movement and make a sight correction to get it back in there if you have to. So as long, you know, if it's a 20-round mag, 20% misses is four bullets in the white. So when I'm drawing, if I'm bam, bam, in my first six rounds out of the pipe, I've got three misses in six rounds. That's 50%. Yeah. So I got to ratchet my neck back in for the rest of that mag to try to stay at that 80% so I'm not biting off more than I can chew. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's not the most efficient way to get better or faster, but it's the most accountable way to get better and faster over time. And it's all going to be individually based. Yes. I mean, it's individually, it's individually based per officer, skill set, equipment. I mean, Sights, iron sights versus red dot. You know, I mean, yeah. Sorry, sorry, man. I geek out on the on the on the gun firearm stuff. So when when I took your class, you said more times than not, some of your top shooters in your class have gone through uh, Jedi's class. Outs. Yep. And uh, but when you talk about you and Scott, you're like, hey, you're the yin and the yang because there's so many things that that y'all agree upon. There's some things that are different and. And, and, I, and I like that you can embrace the differences of, of, of that. And I went through your class and I've been through Scott's class and, 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 and Scott's a friend of mine and stuff. So, and when you were saying that, and it, it clicked for me, I, I understood that because I've, I've gone to his class and then I was in your class and stuff. So I think I, I like that. And then there's some other guys out there and there, there's the debate of, I think some people think, okay, your class is oh, it's just shooting slow. And then there's other guys like, no, it's, it's, it, so I love the way you're able to, articulate that and get in and, and make the point that, Hey, there's, there is the speed to it. And then there's the accuracy and, and it's able, like you said, to, to combine that. And, you know, there's which one's greater and, and, and all that stuff. So I, I, I love the way you're able to, to get in there and dive into it. And you get deep in the weeds and that once again, you, you like getting deep in those weeds. And well, I think and, and the everything. situation is going to dictate what's going to be greater. Yes. And that's that's another thing that that I talk about with the guys is uh, unconscious competence versus deliberate act. So if you are shooting like full on at the ragged edge, uh, generally your outcome from that string of fire was dictated by the effort you put in before. And uh, you're you're gambling in in Vegas. Nobody shoots all alphas in in nationals. Some of them are going to get away from you. 
Um, so I call that autopilot. When you're exercising the subconscious competence and you're just kind of checking in with the sights, red dot over brown, centered up, send it. Red dot over brown, send it. Red dot over brown, send it. Uh, that's subconscious competence. I'm flying the plane on autopilot. All of those reps that I did, all of that visual movement of the gun that I did dry live prior to that, it's allowing me to go through this course of fire on autopilot. When you get to a shot that has high criticality, um, if I miss this, I'm going to be criminally charged. If I miss this, qualified immunity is going to be taken from me and I'm going to be open for civil liability. If I miss this, the people in my community are going to, are going to burn some shit. They're going to set my city on fire. Uh, the consequence of that shot, are you seeing that that shot is different than the one that you just fired two-tenths of a second earlier? And are you able, once you identify that shot for what it is, to flick the autopilot off, take manual control over the firearm, and make that shot happen, not allow that shot to happen with your subconscious competence? And as soon as you make that highly critical shot, you can go right back on autopilot and finish the string or the course of fire in your OIS. But it is from... It is from uh, repetition prior giving me a highly predictive outcome to 100% control of the shot process to include my visual stuff, to include uh, pre-ignition movement indicators and making a shot for all of the marbles uh, as a deliberate act. Do you know how to center punch an X-ring if you had to? whether that be support hand grip, uh, trigger control, like whatever. And do you see that shot for being the potentially game-changing shot that it is? And a lot of times it's backstop. It's not a child in front of the person or the traditional low percentage shot. It's just a really dirty backstop. And if you start shooting people with rifles... Uh, and even with FBI-approved ammunition, if you get off of that center of the upper thoracic, now you're going through skinnier, smaller parts or a bladed individual, and you hit them in the sternum, it goes through the pectoral, and then it smokes through their tricep, and that, that bullet's it's, it's going beyond. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't go to the head if the backstop is dirty. Well, um, well, I think, too, you know, and you know, flat ranges are great, but... You know, CQB environment or, or something where there's a dynamic situation where we have a, the bad guy over here to our right. We engage him, but he's going to his left and he's going to the couch where his two buddies are that are got their hands up. I mean, there's th- there's that. There's processing this. I mean, there are so many things that go into an actual shooting that we just can't simulate on a range sometimes. Uh, even in simulations, we can't because... And let's face it, we we know there's no finality when we shoot those simunitions. We know there's finality when we shoot these real bullets. And and there's so much that goes into the the process of just th- this thing in our brain that we're the, that we're having to see. I and mean, if I said, hey, we're running El Prez right now, 
but you had no idea that the target I had that I spun around was a cop in a uniform with a gun. Man, you're, you're so, oh, beep, I've come out. I, I would guarantee you so many guys would shoot that just thinking, oh, this is El Prez and this is the target. Oh, damn it. You, but that's the reality that we're, that we're faced with when we go to a traffic stop or go to a family disturbance and we're talking to the wife and all of a sudden, bam, out of the hallway comes this guy down the hallway screaming because the guy behind him is chasing him with a knife and we see this and, oh, we're processing, well, damn, that's not the bad guy. This is guy getting chased by the knife. So there's so many stimulants in there and that's where, oh, I have this. Oh, now I have it. And so there's, there's so many things and, and that's why I love – like you said, geeking out and talking about this because it's just it's more than just beep shoot up oh, good time. You know, it, 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 there's so much more than that. I try to get my guys to think a lot more on the range than in the, the the previous red shirts, right? And I get it, red shirts, man. I mean, uh, the old school red shirt guys stand there, punch holes, hit your hit your standard, move on. Stand there, punch holes, hit your standards, move on. I learned that way. Yes, in the police department, but I learned a better way from dudes like you and those competition shooters. And when when I mention the red shirts, I I mean it from the standpoint of, and I saw this in the army, where the conventional army would be reluctant to adopt special operations tactics, techniques, and procedures or equipment. And they would discount it as special. Um, well, you guys use that because of the special nature of your mission or whatever. And I'm like, um, it's killing another person with an assault rifle. That's kind of an everybody in the <laughs> army thing. Um, it, 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 this is not special operations, whatever. But you could hear a red shirt say to a SWAT guy when arguing about the theory of firearms training methodology, they're going to default back to, I've got to do an academy. And this is the minimum level, whatever. You are specially trained SWAT operators. What you're saying about this training methodology thing, it can't apply to this big pond of candidates that I have to get to pass our qual. There's no place for your advanced shooting techniques with this base level non-vetted uh other than department vetted uh yeah. person but the and good so thing I've is like for that. me i'm a red shirt and a swat dude came from a full-time swat team that trained with dudes like you a lot and i went to tons of shooting classes so now i'm trying to filter down the same training that i would give my swat dudes yeah i'm trying to give the big apartment now do i water it down a little bit depending on my audience absolutely but it, does it still have kind of the same message? Yes, you know, and I, I, I hope, I hope guys are getting something out of it. Yeah, it is yeah. funny because you have that argument of you got guys in our community that want to give back to the patrol guys. Mm-hmm. Hey, here's this. Then you have other guys that are like, oh, man, if we give them these, where's our usefulness? They're, I mean, why do they need us anymore? I'm like, man, they, they, come on, like. We can teach them some stuff. We can show them this. Um, like you said, are we going to be able to, hey, we're going to get 12 patrol guys to come in and take down? No, I mean, well, no. But you can give two or three guys the ability to be able to lock down some stuff by teaching them CQB, by teaching them these quote, but you still high can't, speed stuff. You still can't make them crank, uh, think under stress or critical you know, decision-making skills. E- either you have that or you don't. No, for sure, so, for sure. Yeah. But at least – 
give the guys some tools to use and it, it you know it, it's at the end of the day it's always their responsibility to justify why they shot someone or did force so yeah you guys good i think so man it's yeah, getting about late an hour and a half yeah chuck's been on the range a long time i know man I, I feel bad for you you have to get more and drive up to lewisville again yes yeah. <laughs> all right chuck any uh any closing words friend no, I mean, uh, you know, we, we, we covered, uh, we covered a bunch of stuff. Uh, you know, anytime you, you put something out on the internet, uh, you don't know who's going to hear it. Um, you know, you can hear it from me, uh, from the horse's mouth. Uh, I, I, I don't think I was God's gift to, uh, you know, army special operations command or, or anywhere else. Um, I, I was, I was pretty mediocre at some, at some points in my career. Um, and, you know, I'm truly remorseful for the person that, that I became by the time that I retired. And I am thankful that I found a new mission, a new purpose, and that's to, to pay it forward. Uh, you know, if, if I can keep one, one officer from ever having to look at himself in the mirror and, and know that that he shot somebody that that he didn't want to shoot and uh and keep that dude from hammering back a bottle of jack every night out of shame that he made one mistake and it was a mistake that was un unrecoverable mm -hmm. um then that's worth it to me i'm very very passionate about about what i'm doing because I, I, th I think that, that it can have an impact. I never wanted to teach pistol or rifle when I got out. It was teaching other things like shoot house stuff and seeing that the misses were decision-making related, not shooting mechanics related, that I was like, well, I, maybe I should teach a pistol thing that focuses on only that aspect of it, the throttle control, the decision-making has nothing to do with hand placement, has nothing to do with grip. It is about what's going on between your ears and what you're seeing in real time. Um, and uh, it's very therapeutic for me. Um, I, f I feel like I'm less of a has-been now that I have this new job uh, and this new focus of, um, you know, prepping guys for the fight. Um, and I'm, I'm just very, very thankful for the opportunity. And if there's anybody from, you know, my past, uh, that I have wronged, uh, when I was off the rails or whatever, I am, I'm truly sorry for, uh, the person that I became. And, uh, and if, you know, you thought that I let you down as a teammate or whatever, um, you know, I, I, I truly apologize that I was not uh, the teammate that you thought that I should have been, mm. um, and, uh, and and don't think that I that I've forgotten um, about the times that we spent together and uh, and things that I could have done bit differently, effort that I could have put in uh, to be a better teammate for you, and I'm I'm sorry for that. All I can do now is is look forward, and um, and and I hope that you're not embarrassed um, of who I am now. 
That's so, awesome. Man, that's, damn, dude, that is like the stuff. best yeah. closing yeah. statement we've had. Right, right. And, and those of y'all who obviously you can't you can't see. I mean, I mean when, you're, when you're seeing, yeah, when you're when you're seeing Chuck speak, you can see it in his eyes. You can see it in yeah. his demeanor that man, he is definitely meaning that. So that's that's awesome, Chuck. Like I said, man, I, I really wanted to have you on just for people to hear hear truth bombs like that. Uh, you're coming back uh, to my region. Uh, I can't remember the dates right now. I know we talked about it uh, it's last week of June, I think. Is that yeah? That's right. In uh, June. Yeah, that's right. Can't be there. I'm gonna be on vacation. Oh man! So you're coming back out, and I want to have you up to some other regions and, and things like that. And uh, uh, press per, or press check is what your website? Press check. Press check. Yeah. Presscheckconsulting.com. Uh, so find him on that. Uh, man, this was awesome. Yeah, I loved it. Good job. I mean, uh, seriously. Um, yeah. And if there's anything that we can do for you from the TTPOA, man, you reach out, and yeah. we'll help you as much as we can. Hope you come back next year to the conference. Yeah. It's guaranteed. Awesome. I'll, I'll give you the dates when, when I know them, so that way you can plan it. So, All right. Are All right, good? boys, we're out of here. All right, man. See you next time. See you.